2: He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio
1: Network, and welcome to the Drafting the Circus Radio Program. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past week in racing, and preview next week. With me in the studio tonight is Mr. Gray Warren, NASCAR Insider, IndyCar Insider, Joey Barnes, my Formula One expert. Richard Uden, and last, but certainly not, not not least, the NASCAR correspondent at Motorsports Tribune, Seth Eggert. How is everybody tonight? Doing good. All right. So uh, let's knock out the headlines real quick. Um, so we had uh, out in Vegas, uh, NASCAR, their third race of the season, second race uh, in a row. One by a Penske car, this time Joey Logano, uh, Keselowski right behind him, a Penske 1-2. Um, it looks like the Fords have uh, made the switch to the Mustang and haven't lost a step. The Fords were strong last year. The Fords are strong this year. Um, the aerodynamic package is something we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, it, it's got a lot of fans uh, talking. Um, the Indy cars will be in st petersburg this weekend open up their season and we will talk about that uh very shortly the, the only other um headline i want to mention here is uh, jared andretti who was a friend of the show was on our show last year uh made his debut in the um pirelli gt4 america series uh the sprint x category and he took the class win at coda so hopefully jared will be on the show uh, again later in the season uh, to talk about how uh, how he's doing in that um that new series he's running so um so Joey, IndyCar, we've had a, you know, we have the longest off season. So it just seems like you know when St. Pete comes around, uh, the anticipation just builds and builds. And, and you know we're, you're running out of things to write about in the off season. We previewed every track, previewed every driver. We've talked about every change. You know, we've talked about every new sponsor, every every new gimmick on the car. But we're finally going to get to talk about a race. Um, which is coming up. So as I look at this thing, you know St. Pete's, uh, it's a great event. It's been the season opener. Solidly since um, every year since 2011. Uh, it first appeared on the, the IRL schedule in 2005. Uh, it was previously a card event in 2003. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it's had the staying power. Uh, it draws a good crowd. It's a, it's a street race with a festival-like atmosphere. Um, and that season opener status just makes it a pretty amazing event. But as I look at this thing, I, I really feel like we've got a pretty exciting crop of rookies um, that, that we're going to see this year. Um, you know, last year we had, but you know, just a few rookies and for the year before we, we just had the one. Uh, so, but we've got, uh, you got guys in top rides. So which of these rookies are you most looking forward to? Um, and do you think that we can expect the best result from it, St. Pete?
3: I mean, that's, man, that's a loaded question a little bit. Um, uh, I'm sorry. I mean, how can you not like the crop of rookies we got in? It's a little bit of everything for everybody, right? I mean, you've got somebody like Santino Ferrucci, who has a little bit of a controversial background, who's still young, poised, trying to get himself together to to make a good run at this, and at, back in America after a lot of time in Europe, trying to like maybe revindicate uh, his name a little bit. Uh, obviously, fast, can he put a race together, do things? So that's always something to watch. Uh, RC Anderson was great a couple of years ago uh just in his few appearances and it looks like he's going to have an opportunity maybe potentially to get a crack at a few things he was good in testing and I'm hearing that they're trying to put some things together to to maybe make a season run out of it not a full season but at least a partial but um you know the one on, on a lot of people's mind Marcus Erickson coming over from Formula One running with Sauber he was pretty pretty quick at coda um, his acclamation to Schmidt Peterson Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsports I've got to get that in there with that name correction. Uh, you know I'm interested to see what he does, but we go from literally no sweets to now two with the second being Felix Rosenquist and he's on everybody's mind being now Scott Dixon's teammate they've been trying for a couple of years now to get him acclimated into that seat and Uh, he's just absolutely stunning quick everywhere and if there is a place in any series that he's going to do really really well and really shine it's going to be street courses like saint pete like long beach toronto etc so um and then not to mention you know you've got colton Herta, you know second in indy lights last year comes in second generation driver and uh he led testing for three out of the four sessions it's exciting to see what he can do. And uh, Ben Hanley uh, with Dragon Speed. Dragon Speed comes over to run five races this year. Uh, looking at a full-time effort by 2020. He's a little got a little age on him compared to a lot of the rookies. Everybody's looking for that young, you know, hot shoe that's in the in the 20 young 20 range. He comes in at 34, but um, you know, really good experience. Renault Formula uh, young driver program uh, applicant there and also did some stuff in uh, 3.5. He was runner up. uh, I think it was 2007, if I remember right. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to like as far as the rookie class goes. Um, I don't know if any of them are going to go out there and win in St. Pete. If there is, I'll probably say Rosenquist, but I think that he gets his first one at Long Beach, honestly. So, um, yeah, but a lot to like with this with this year.
1: A lot to like of this year, and if you look at the uh, the, uh, the entry list for Saint Pete, we'll have 24 cars starting. You know, we've uh, we've been used to having 20, 21 cars at every race, other than Indy. You know, and we've we've used, you know, we've been used to uh, them having to drum up some. Uh, some some people out of the woodwork to make sure we get to that 33 at Indy, but you know this year we've got 24 this race. You know we'll have we'll have at least 21 cars at every race, but a number of part-time entries with uh, with various spots around the schedule. There um, we're going to see bigger fields, and and we may see as many as 37, maybe 38 cars attempting you know to get to get those 33 spots at Indy. So that'll be that'll be interesting when that time comes around. So, but. <clears throat> There's a lot of stability in, in some of the teams here that, that are going in with very little changes. We're on the second year with the universal air kit. You know, we've got a lot of teams coming back with the exact same lineups, right? We've got you know Andretti Autosport, same 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 lineup of drivers. Um, Penske, same lineup of drivers. AJ Foyt, same lineup of drivers. There, so you, you got a lot of uh, a lot of consistency uh, where we can look at look at last year and see who was doing well last year and, and who can build on last year. And, and who really needs to improve from last year. And I, I think one of the guys that really last year was, was kind of coming back into his game after a bit of a slump was Ryan Hunter Ray. And, and again, St. Pete is, uh, the type of course that, you know, that, that suits his driving style quite well. So, um, I, I think Ryan's in for a really good year this year. You know, of course, all, you know, all the eyes are on Rossi, all the eyes are on Dixon. Um, a, a lot of eyes are on willpower, but I think, uh, flying under the radar, I think we may, uh, you know, Ryan Hunter Ray might be one to watch. Um, any other dark horses out there that you uh, that you think of, Joey?
3: I mean, there's there's a lot in this field because, I mean, any given week, any driver can can lay it down. But, um, you know, I think it's interesting that you kind of went to the Andretti Autosport Camp there because they had such an edge, especially at Roden Streets last year. And I feel like, as we all know, and I'm sure definitely uh, Gray and, and Richard could speak to this, is just – when you hit on something, you pretty much only hit on something for part of the year. If you're lucky, you hit on it for the whole year, and it's not too long after that that everybody's able to close the gap to you because they know what you're working on, they know what you're doing. I think the field's going to close up a little bit on at, on Andretti Autosport at the Road and Street. So where, where, Andrew, where Rossi and where, where Hunter Ray shined a lot... Last year, I think they're going to have, they might still come out with the same results, but I think they're going to have more of a fight for it this year than they would last year. Um, I'm personally, you know, when I'm looking at this, there is some concern at a few camps. Um, there's no questioning the talent level of some of these guys, but like I'm genuinely kind of concerned with, with what's going on there with Borde and, and Vassar Sullivan. Um, there's another rotation with a teammate there. Uh, last year is Pietro and Santino. Uh, I think Clement DeMello was also involved in a few uh, races with them. So there's not a lot of stability for, for Borde to lean on, which has kind of been the Achilles heel in some cases. Um, from talking to Craig Hampson, this new car doesn't necessarily suit his style. It's a little too free in the back end. So he's still trying to get acclimated to that. Um, and obviously, showed at Coda as well, because they went through the, the gamut on a number of things. But So that's one that maybe... You're a little concerned with they won St. Pete last year, but as Hampson was telling me, we didn't win it because we were the fastest car like the year before. We kind of lucked into it because of the collision with, with Rossi and Wickens and sliding past. So I'm interested to see what they have in store for this year. Um, you know, beyond that, I, I think Hinch could be the dark horse, if I'm being honest. When you see how how Wickens ran a lot last year, when you see that Wickens didn't have to unlearn anything uh, with the old car. He came in and could immediately get acclimated to the, to the universal air kit, where Hinch and a lot of these veterans had to learn unlearn the manufacturer kit. So, you know, obviously, Schmidt-Peterson's had some change. They're quick, no matter what. Those cars have proven to be fast uh, with Erickson, with Wickens, and, and I think Hinch is going to really reap the benefits of those things. Um, And then obviously Graham Rahal, trying to bounce back from a a little bit of a down year last year, which became an anomaly because he typically has been running well the last few seasons and been that guy that could chip away at the Giants, so to speak, uh, against the Ganassis, the Penske's and the Andretti's. Rahal Letterman's been the one that could stand toe to toe, but expanding to a two car team in the universal era hadn't proven to be too beneficial. So. We'll see if they can get it right in year two with uh, with the two car team and with the arrow kit. But, um, you know, I don't know if you consider I I don't know if you would consider him a dark horse, but um, I would consider probably looking at this year. I think Will Power is the favorite um, and for a lot of reasons. Uh, You know, you look at last year, he probably had, what, seven races that went by the wayside because either mechanical failures or driver error um you know he ended up winning three races i think he had seven six or seven races where he finished 18th or worse and he still finished third in the championship so you know he he rattled off three of his last four races were were podiums including that win at gateway and i think that Now that he's getting acclimated to this universal arrow kit, I'm hearing a lot of positive things about how testing's gone for them, not just at Coda a couple weeks ago, but at Sebring. I feel like they're getting a really big hold of this thing, and I think of anybody in that Penske lineup, I think I trust Will to probably limit those mistakes. And now that he's won Indy, you're seeing a very relaxed Will Power. I mean... That could be dangerous, right? Because he's not feeling the pressure of himself. So um. yeah,
1: absolutely. It's funny, it's funny you should mention willpower because I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, when I was trying to to get some articles together about IndyCard one but I, I I strongly agree that uh, willpower may just be the favorite. Because if, if you look at a guy like Dixon, right, his his first championship was. 2003 right his next one was five years later right then it took Mm -hmm. him another another five years to win a third right then the fourth and fifth came really quick right now now power is he's kind of reaching that 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 stage where he's he's got the maturity on him uh that dixon does now you know he's he's approaching that um so i don't know he had a couple of uh, uh missed opportunities in championships there you know um but i think he's uh Coming into where, you know, whereas Dixon's won these last three and the first, you know, the first couple took a while, uh, you know, Powers just got the one, but I think he's he's got a few more in him and he's just going to, he's going to become kind of like that Dixon character. Who's just the guy, you know, I, I don't do anything but show up and win races, you know?
3: I mean, we, we all thought Fernando Alonso had a lot of championships in him. and was going to be better than Schumacher. And then what happened? Kimi Räikkönen, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton happened. I mean, I, so I don't want to sit here and say that Will Powers is on a path to have more championships. Uh, uh, it's tough to say. I think he's the favorite, but you know we look at Dixon and look at the history. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the five-year gaps on, on certain things, but right after he won that 08 championship, he only lost the title by 11 points the following year to Dario, and that was the start of Dario having a three-peat. on on his comeback from NASCAR. Um, So I think what's interesting in this situation is, I mean, if not for Dario, Dixon would probably have 10 championships by that definition uh, by now. So, you know, I'm hoping to put the journalism hat off for a second and have the fan come out a little bit, uh, you know, talking to to Will at, at Coda during media day. I know he doesn't necessarily care how he wins, but he, he mentioned that he was surprised by the fact that him and Dixon have never had a head-to-head championship battle. And that's something that I think all of us as fans loving IndyCar racing, they're both the measuring stick. And we've been waiting for so long to see this ultimate head-to-head battle between these two because they are the modern Modern era best, right? They are the Foyt and Andretti of our, of our era. And I personally would love to see that championship battle come out. And I think this, if there's a year that it happens, I think it is this year, because when you look at Dixon, A, when he's determined, you're not going to beat him, period. And he's determined to go back to back. And of all the teams, they're probably the best one to look at and say, you kind of figured out the universal arrow kit. So they're coming in with the best momentum. Not just from a team perspective, a driver perspective, but from you know a setup perspective, a mechanical aspect to learn how this machine works with the damper programs and things like that. So, and they're only going to gain on that by having a guy like Felix alongside Dixon. So, this is a very interesting year, and I I'm hopeful. You know, it, it, there's a lot of different people I'd love to see make a run and and create their own history in this championship. But I think that we could all agree that seeing a Dixon versus power head-to-head battle would be one for the ages. And if we do it, this is the year that I think we do it.
4: Yeah, yeah it is. Like you said, absolutely surprising we haven't seen that. But, Gray, you had a comment? Go right Yeah, ahead. I did. You know, we, you, you talked about, you know, uh, Ryan hunter Ray showing some resurgence at the end of the season. I tell you, you, you look back at New Garden and Pagino, uh from last year they they both had you know relatively disappointing seasons for them i you know i expect those guys to uh to uh step it up
3: yeah in the absolutely
4: Penske, in the camp.
3: i mean you know what's funny about that is to me simon is the one guy in the entire paddock that when he is 100 in the zone he is probably in my opinion the most unbeatable like i look at he, he knows a certain, there's a certain way about him. You get a feel for it on a race weekend, right? Like when he's focused and locked in and he says, I've got to be aggressive. And it's not just saying it. It's going out there and get, delivering that attitude to the racetrack and attacking the track. Not attacking the field, but attacking the track. That's the kind of know that we saw at Sonoma a couple of years ago and the year before that. He is on an entirely other level when he is in that zone. I think it's just a matter of not being, I don't want to say complacent. But when he's in that zone, the feedback that he delivers is better. The team seems to be in the zone. The whole thing seems to come together, and I yeah. think it feeds off of him being aggressive. And I think out of any driver in the paddock, if there's somebody that's going to have that rebound year, I mean, if he's in that zone for 17 rounds, this could be, you know, this could be a championship run all over again for some yeah. time.
4: Well, you look at him two what two years ago. He seemed he seemed invincible.
3: And, yeah, exactly. And, and,
4: and then the year before. Uh, you, you know, uh, prior to, to last year, New Garden was the same way. So, it, it, it's I don't know whether what do you attribute their fall off to the last couple of years?
3: Um, I mean, part of it's the universal arrow kit, right? Yeah. And the other end of that is you lose Elio, who mm-hmm. has been a mainstay in this series forever. You don't have a guy like him that you can kind of lean on for feedback, right. and I think some of that also comes. It disbands a little bit on the engineering side mm-hmm. because you're not having Elio's engineer to kind of maybe pull things through and things like that on the regular basis. So, not just from a driver perspective, I think also maybe from a, honestly, it sounds maybe stupid to a lot of people, but I think from a camaraderie sense, right? Yeah. Somebody that can ease mm-hmm. and relax the drivers because it felt like at times Penske was super uptight. The whole group was super tight and there wasn't somebody there to kind of alleviate that pressure and just come in with a silly joke or silly pun and, and do what Elio does, which is make yeah. light of a situation and relax everybody. And then everybody goes out there and kicks ass. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily, th- you know, well, I don't necessarily say
4: it. He'd be, so, like he'd be a good locker room guy in a stick and ball sport, you know? Perfect. Kind of yeah.
1: yeah. 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 But you know, the interesting thing there is, you know, Newgarden used to be that guy, you know, before he became a Penske driver, he'd be the guy that put on a crazy costume and go out and, and, Put, you know, go talk to the fans. Mm-hmm. You ever hear of this New Garden guy? But it, it seems like his demeanor has changed a little bit. I mean, he's still very likable and still very, you know, very outgoing and very gregarious. But it, it, it's, it seems like he's – since he's joined Penske, he's, he's become a lot more serious. You know, obviously, it's paid off with the championship. But, but you know, I wonder if he just needs to find the balance in there too. and Then, then he can be that guy, um, you know, that Elio was. I
3: mean, just, sometimes just, you just, just have to learn –
1: just the thought,
3: Some, yeah. I mean sometimes you just learn how to be a Penske driver first, right? Like because right, right. let's be let's be honest here. When we're all you know, growing up, we have a high school job, we don't really take it seriously, right? And but then you get into college and then after college you get a serious job and, and the attention to details there. And I think where where Joseph's always taken pride in any of his work that he's done. There's a significant difference on how Penske runs things versus everybody else, and I think the level of focus you have to maintain for every facet because there is that just finite level of detail, and it's not much compared to Ned Carpenter Racing because Ed is extremely a stickler on every little facet, but I think the attention the detail for whatever reason maybe it's just in a different way maybe the terminology is different maybe the the way that they do things is a, is a different order but for whatever reason yeah like you said there there's a little bit of a difference with joseph and i think it's because he's not as raw as he was he's in this he knows the opportunity he has in front of him and he's just as as polished as he can be um which you know some fans like a little bit of rawness and some some people People prefer the polish. You know, some people like Jimmy Johnson, some people like Dale Jr. It really just depends on on what you prefer there. And at the end of the day, you know, he's – championships are usually won by guys who are more polished and are attention-to-detail oriented, and I think that's why you see that kind of attitude portrayed uh, out of Joseph over the last couple of years.
4: Yeah, well, you know, Penske's the benchmark in in, in IndyCar. So, yeah, I can understand that.
1: Well, before we move on to, uh, talk about, um, you know, some of the other racing series NASCAR formula one, hey, you know, the one guy who's been getting a lot of, uh, talk about championship favorite that, that we haven't really talked about in depth is, um, young Alexander Rossi. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So he's, uh, a lot of people are pegging him to be favored favorite based on, uh, you know, he, he, that championship would have been so much tighter. were not for a couple of mistakes on his part there. Um, so do you, do you feel Joey that, uh, uh, you know Rossi can continue um you know off the breakout season he had last year
3: I guess the better question is is do you feel like Alexander Rossi is the type of driver to actually regress because I, I don't think he is I think I think that's part of what makes this series so good is that you're looking at guys that just continue to find ways to improve on their own game and they raise each other's levels to ridiculous heights and Rossi's no exception right like coming over from F1 and turning this into a lifestyle now, he was one of the few people I was concerned with in transitioning from the manufacturer Aero Kit to the universal Aero Kit. Just because, you know, once you learn something and you're already a rookie uh, for, for a couple of years with it, you move over and, and you have something brand new. And so that, that difference of feel could totally just throw a wrench in everything. And he handled it beautifully. And I So I think, you know... He could definitely be a guy that competes. I think the kicker here is, is he going to continue to be the guy that does things like Detroit or, you know, where, where he you know, running somebody down and for whatever reason just overshoots a corner randomly in the chase? You know, is he going to be a guy that is so dependent on that trust? Like Indy, we saw a ridiculous pass on the outside on a restart where he passed like seven cars. That just, That's not just talent out of him. That takes a lot of trust out of the drivers that he's passing to not try to move up a half a lane to block the air from him and send him in the marbles. So is he going to be raced differently from everybody, and how's his reaction to that? So I don't necessarily think um, – I don't know how to word this without it sounding really bad – but. I think, yes, he's a championship threat, bar none. I think he could win at any racetrack. He's like Willpower and Dixon. He's a guy that you look at every single week as, as the benchmark to go up against, right? But I, I question if he has the Willpower syndrome of the early years where he overshoots corners, you know, gets himself into some tight spots, just small little mental lapses in a race that sometimes can cost you the victory and, in some cases, a championship. So, um, that said, at some point he puts it all together. Is it this year? I'm not hundred percent sure.
1: All right, all good points. So uh, last thing I want to mention on in IndyCar is that uh, uh, Robert Wickens was on his social media today. Robert Wickens is gonna be at Saint Pete. He's gonna do a he's gonna be part of the autograph session. He's doing a meet and greet there. Um, and then I believe him and his fiance are gonna be on Good Morning America this week as well um, to talk about the, the accident publicly on television for the first time. So uh,
4: but he's making uh, great progress too in his recovery. I mean, yes, I mean, yep. he, he's he's walking with the exoskeleton and and uh, I mean, he just I tell you what, he, he, it's remarkable. You know, from from where he was, uh, you know, what six months ago, four months ago, really, you know, right, yeah.
3: There there's um just before we move on to the next segment, I'd be I'd be bad if I didn't since we're doing a preview, plug these dudes in. Um first off, AJ Ford Racing, I think they're gonna be improved a little bit this year. Canon, that experience, a little bit of stability. Mateus light laced has always had raw speed, I think I think we're going to see a few good runs out of them this year, but I don't think it's going to be until probably after the 500. Maybe we get one top 10 out of them before, but I think that they're still putting some pieces together. But when they do, they could be a team that's rising towards the end of the year. Um, A lot of their focus is strictly on the 500. So uh, Tony even said, Hey, we could DNF every race. AJ wouldn't care if we get an Indy 500 win. And if you remember last year, even with all the problems they had everywhere else at Indy in particular, they were still pretty strong. So, that's certainly a team to look out for towards the end of the year. But um, Zach Veach, I'm very curious to see if he can kind of load up on a very strong rookie campaign and do something in year two, or is the sophomore jinx real there? Um, Spencer Piggott, Ned Jones. Um, with Piggott, he started to show some poise. You know, I'm curious to see if he takes that next step, and it's not just certain tracks that he's a threat at. Uh, that they've had recent history at, uh, good history, like Iowa. I'm wondering if he can put it together to get podiums elsewhere, the mid-Ohios, the barbers of the world. So, um, And Ed Jones, uh, that guy, he's either been in a different arrow kit or a different team every single year since he's been in IndyCar. So for him, I hope he gets some good runs that can lead to some stability on both fronts because I do think he's an enormous talent. He's just so reserved that nobody ever seems to think about him, but – He's a good talent, and, uh, you know, with being with Scuderia Corsa, uh, with that partnership with Ed Carpenter Racing, it's another program c- coming in IndyCar It's really exciting to see. So um, a lot of cool little, you know, nuggets uh, as far as that goes. And then the other one that we didn't touch on talking about rookies is Pato Award, uh, you know, kind of getting out of the the Harding-Steinbrunner uh, deal. Where is he going to end up? Um, you know, talking with him a few times. Uh, I think he does end up somewhere, but I don't think it happens until after St. Pete, obviously. So, um, But I do think at Cota, we see him in a car.
4: All right, guys. Hey, let's do this before we uh, cut this IndyCar segment off. Uh, let's do bold predictions for uh, this season. Uh, IndyCar champion and Indy 500 champion.
1: Okay, yeah. How, how about you go first, Gray? Uh,
4: okay. I'm going to say I'm going to go with Rossi for the championship. And uh, I'm going to say, um, oh, Indy 500, I'm going to say uh, Ed Carpenter finally beats the jinx and, 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 uh, and gets the win.
1: Uh, wow. that's 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 bold yeah so uh, not 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 impossible though so all right seth you've been quiet uh so d- d- bold prediction i mean like i don't even want to do mine because i, I wanted to wait, at least see a couple races before i tell you who's gonna win the that's, why it's bold. Well, that's why it's bold, bold. you're right you're well, right for
5: the championship i'm gonna go with rossi okay and for the indy 500 speaking of jinx let's go with andretti
1: yeah, Have have Marco win on on Mario's the anniversary of Mario's fiftieth? That would be perfect. That would be perfect. I would love yeah. to see that. Now, Richard,
2: how's it going? I've been yeah, very quiet. Yeah,
1: you, you get to be bold too.
2: Oh yeah. Um, five hundred. Sort of taking a little bit of a lead from Gray. I'm going to go with uh, Spencer Pigott there to win that one. I think he's going to stay in that camp. I think they're always quick out there, and uh, I can see him. You know, one of those cars getting the job done this year. Uh, and for the championship, I mean, you know, the, the guys, everybody's been, you know, pretty, as you'd expect for championship. Um, I championship. Let's go for my old buddy Takuma. Let's throw his name in there, see what he'll do.
1: Takuma for the championship? I love it. Why I not?
2: Love it. Why not? Hey, you want gold? it bold? You know, That's there you bold,
1: go. yep. I was thinking Takuma could win another 500. I mean, you know. Rather.
2: Oh, I mean, the, the guy yeah, so. you know.
1: But a championship—that's bold. Now, Joey, what do you think, then?
3: Um, well, I already picked Marco to win the 500 before the year was before last year ended on our—I think on our final show. So I'm not going to waver from that. Um, I think Power wins the title. Honestly, like I, okay. it's not—it's not a sexy pick. It's not a bold pick. Um, I'm it's more a solid in- pick. Yeah, like I'm more interested to see. Like I think we actually end up with uh, probably three first-time winners this year. Um, which would be saying something on a seventeen race schedule. So um, I'd be saying that's... a
4: lot as competitive as is, is competitive Is if you look on paper as this season is setting up to be. I mean, we got a lot of powerful teams with a lot of experienced drivers in seats. So I mean this could be a, I mean this could be a season for the ages.
3: Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's me going off the the deep end there because Andretti's always fast at Indy, and Powers usually a championship threat. I'll say we get three first time winners. That there's there's my bold predictions.
2: All right. Well, now there we you pick go. pick Alonso for the 500, then. Uh,
1: no, <laughs> and I'm not going to either. So, uh, but I am going to pick Takuma for the 500. Um, but for the championship, I, that's just a tough one. That's just a tough one. Um, but I will I will go with I say. Simon Pagano rebounds, and Pagano wins this thing again. Gets his name back in the news. So, all mm-hmm. right. With that That's- that being said, everybody, real quick, you got to make a pick for St. Pete now. So, Seth, St. Pete, quick.
5: Uh, Rossi.
4: Gray. Oh, I'm gonna say uh, New Garden. Richard. Power. Joey. Power. All
1: right, now, I'm gonna say Hinchcliffe. And we'll move on to our NASCAR segment. So, um, so Gray, um, we uh, already mentioned that uh, the Ford cars were strong. Uh, Joe Logano took the win. But uh, word on the street that um, the, the new Arrow kit is uh, not really producing great racing. Um, your, your thoughts agree, disagree? And then oh. you, and, you and Steph could bounce this around.
4: I'm going to have to disagree because uh, I, I thought it was a I thought it was a very entertaining race on a mile and a half track. It uh, the race set set uh, some records for uh, uh, total passes, total green flag passes, and uh, the race had 19 official lead changes among nine drivers at the strike, But it had had a record 47. Uh, uh, green flag passes for the, for the lead all around the track. So that tells me that was a pretty competitive race. Also, you didn't see the lead car check out on the field and get, uh, you know, any more probably than a three-second lead, you know, uh, on second place. I thought it was a very competitive race. I don't know all these naysayers. Obviously, people wanted to see a little bit more. Um, I think... Uh, I think one thing that kind of threw them for a loop was um, uh, the qualifying was a little bit kind of chaotic and crazy. But you know these guys learned something in, in a few minutes. It doesn't take long for it to spread through the garage, and they learned how that the draft was better uh, with this new package, and they could uh, they could sort of uh, cheat uh, on the cars uh, that, that, that they were trailing and get and pick up some speed. Um, and that, that led to that kind of crazy qualifying session we we saw. But once the cars got all the cars got on the track, the cream you know uh, rose to the top. But I thought all in all, it was a pretty good race, a step in the right direction. Obviously, they may have a few little uh, things to work out. These these teams, um, this is new to the teams. Uh, you know, they haven't run. This is the third race in a row not, they they have run a different package. Uh, they ran, of course, they ran the Speedway package at Daytona. They go to Atlanta. They run the, the, the smaller uh, uh, inserts in, in the, in the, under the carburetor, and they, run the, they don't run the aeroducts. They go to Las Vegas. They run the similar package to Atlanta, except you add the aeroducts. So ducts. So, so really, you're, you're not comparing similar cars in the first three races. So it's going to take these teams a little bit, to, to work it out, and I heard it said, you know, when we go back to Vegas in September, we'll see a different race than we saw this past weekend. But all in all, I was pleased because you didn't see a runaway. Uh, you saw uh, cars that could actually race one another. They could make up time on the cars in front of them. That kind of, you know, among the top ten cars, it was sort of an accordion Kind of effect, which is good, because they could they could uh, they could catch up, they could fall back. Uh, I thought I thought to me, the racing overall was good in a in a step in the right direction, and, oh. and a slight bump in the TV ratings, uh, too, which is encouraging. I think a lot of that was curiosity; people wanted to see what this new package would do. So uh, yeah, I think um, I, I think I give it I give it good marks. For this weekend. I'd really
1: do. All right. So Seth. I, I, I actually thought the race wasn't horrible either. And, and Gray thought it was pretty good. So Seth. What is everybody bitching about?
5: I want to say what everyone is bitching about. Is the fact that. Uh, everyone. And I shouldn't say everyone. But a good number of people. Thought that this was going to create pack racing. That this was going to be More. Daytona or Talladega-esque because the drivers were saying that. Some people in the media were saying that. Uh, some people were saying that it was going to be a wreck fest. So I want to say one of the things that fans especially are complaining about is that they didn't get what they were told they were going to get or they weren't to- uh, getting what they expected to get. And a part of that is on some of us, maybe not in this uh, show but elsewhere, a uh, part of that is on the drivers, so because some either had their own agenda that didn't like this package and were trying to s- to dissuade fans from liking it, or just people who just flat out didn't know that were making predictions that they should know.
4: And that's a good point, Seth, because I think uh, you know the the drivers, you know, haven't been universally haven't been. Uh, receiving this package well uh you know and we've, we've talked about this in the past the drivers tend to tend to want to make things as and, and as human nature you want to make it as easy as you can you, your job as easy as possible I, I understand that part but basically you're racing for the fans so the fans you know to me should have the biggest input into to, to to what they want to see and the kind of show they want to see and it's up to the drivers to go out and and and, you know okay this is the package we've got we've got to adapt to it we've got to, we've got to learn to race because they're the ones that' are being rewarded for for what they do out on the track um, you're right I think some of them do go in with a little bit of an agenda but I think by and large as this season progresses you know they're going to end up just kind of relenting and, and, and getting with it and, and, and going out and, and racing that's that's what they do uh, are we going to uh, Phoenix? Uh, the uh, fourth race of the season this weekend, and will again the cars will race a somewhat different package. They'll run the larger uh, tapered uh, insert uh, in the intake this weekend, so there'll be a little bit more throttle response uh, for these cars. They'll still have the big, the big eight-inch tall, sixty-one-inch wide spoiler and the radiator pan and the and the uh, They won't splitter.
5: have. They won't have the aeroducts ducts though.
4: No, they will not have the AeroDucks, right, and I think this particular, I think I saw somewhere this particular package that we're going to run at Phoenix will be in about 13 or 14 races this weekend, and that's the tracks under a mile and a third that this package will will run on, uh, and then the rest of the tracks will be uh, what we saw at uh, Vegas, except for uh, the plate, the Daytona, Talladega, and Pocono, I believe. And the rest I an auto club, auto club is going to run the same as Atlanta, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah.
1: Okay. Right, now, I, I, did, now, I didn't see that. Richard wants to jump in with a comment about Phoenix before we get too far off that subject, though. So, Richard.
2: Yeah, I uh, I don't know if uh, any of you guys saw, but Goodyear sort of did the uh, sort of I guess their pre race press uh, article, and uh, they were um, they were warning their te- the teams on uh, on on tire pressures for uh, for this weekend with the increased downforce, and increased cornering speeds. Um, you know, they're saying the tires may not last a last a fuel run. Um uh, and I think when they were they weren't just talking about excessive wear, I think we were probably talking about the sidewalls failing. So mm-hmm. it could be a little bit of an embarrassing situation this weekend. You know, you could be doing twenty lap runs on these tires before they start falling apart. Well
1: Oh gosh, I was not not another brickyard from
2: oh, that's what that's
5: what I was gonna say. Oh, and also uh to be fair, at Phoenix it, for some reason, it seems at Phoenix and at Auto Club, it's more pronounced than anywhere else that the teams uh, tr- are notoriously low on the tire pressures, which increase the possibility of tire failures. So I want to say it's also good you're trying to be proactive to try to nip that now before running into that in practice or in the race itself.
1: Yeah, we've had this discussion a couple of times. Uh, you know, I, I always wonder,s like, I mean, is is it really is giving NASCAR a crap product, or are the teams just, you, you know, underinflating them and and doing whatever, you know, they want to do to it, to, you know, and then then you got guys like Tony Stewart who want to get on the microphone and talk about how horrible good you are. But I mean, that, that's your one and one and only tire partner to the series, right?
5: And,
2: it's and really if you got no choice.
1: if you look at IndyCar, right? How often do you do you hear about catastrophic tire failures in IndyCar? Right? How often do you hear an IndyCar driver say something negative about Firestone? And it's because the, you know, Firestone gives them the guidelines and they stick to it. So
2: you've got to look at the mentality of the of the drivers as well. The guys that are turning around and saying these things, you know. It, yeah, but, that,
1: that's true. That that That's a good point. I just, I just sometimes, I just, you know, I, you know, Joe, Joey says Goodyear just can't get it right. But I don't know if it's all Goodyear or not. You know what I mean? So, well, here's the deal oh. <laughs> too.
4: The, the teams are going to try to, like Richard said, they're going to try to stretch the things out and whatnot. The putting the the onus for using the proper tire pressure is going to really come down to the teams. If, if you know they can they can they can do it on the edge, or they can you know uh, they can comply comply whatever they want. So you know I, I'm sure if there's some tire failures out there, the drivers are going to point the finger at Goodyear, and Goodyear's going to turn point the finger at the teams, you know, well, for, for doing it. But it, it's
3: it's. So, so you don't think uh, that they do that on the IndyCar side? Just oh just,
4: yeah, they they do it everywhere. I mean, that's, that's, that's part of it. You know, it's it's part uh, of the thing. But Goodyear's just trying. I, I understand what Goodyear's trying to do. They want to cover uh, their cover their ass just to, to a to a to a degree too. But as this is just one of the unintended consequences that comes from these from rules changes in any sanctioning body.
2: I think the pro, I think that's the a portion of the blame also lies at nascar's door um when they introduced the digital dash what four years ago now i guess it was um the digital dash has the capability of running um a tire pressure monitoring system and that was due to be enforced by nascar the following year after the dash came on board and then as the teams went through testing they realized how expensive it was going to be to actually maintain the tire pressure system. So in terms of... The the biggest expense was replacing the batteries inside the sensor which goes inside the wheel rim. Now, I don't... And it varies from week to week how many tires each team is allowed to run at the event. But that would have allowed NASCAR to police the pressures that the team's running. So they could turn around and say, right, you cannot run below this pressure. And they would collect all the data as they do, you know, with all the cars that they have the option to get the data from any car and look at the pressures that they were running at any given time. Oh, you know, they would have been able to look at the pressures at any given time during the race. And that was also a way of policing the way teams bleed the tyres. Now, the rumours are that that was going on a little bit again last year. Um, So... They they've sort of shot themselves in the foot a little bit there by mandating a system that was so expensive, and there are far 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 cheaper systems out there that are commercially available. But they had this tie in with McLaren, and you know they they backed themselves into a corner there. They really could have done a far better job with it, I think.
3: I mean, I think some of the onus falls. I think a lot of the onus, personally, from from my perspective, falls on Goodyear because, you know, at the end of the day, when you're not. When you have tire testing, like we all knew the Camaro was coming out, for example, and we're throwing out tires. We're we're doing tire tests like they're running here at Texas Motor Speedway all day. Ironically, that's, I believe, Chase Elliott uh, blew one of the tires and hit the wall, Um, and it cut short part of the day. At the end of the day, how can a, a manufacturer such as Goodyear not figure out a way to come up with one tire compound, And you're looking at companies like Pirelli, like Firestone that are coming up with like six different ones that can be run on a, on a specific race weekend at times you've you're giving the fans this, you know, this tire that doesn't really help produce a show. I think that you just have to, I I don't know how you don't get it right. Right. You got the engineers in place, you got everything situated, but I, and I look at it, you have time with the new cars, during tire testing and things like that. At the end of the day, I think you've got to come up with something that's universal to the point of, hey, you know, we need to provide a tire that can do two things last to the point that it doesn't self-destruct. And the other end of that is let's let it be in the driver's hands. You know what? If you want to, to you know, run hard as hell at the beginning of a run, that tire is going to fall off after five laps. But if you want to sit there... And milk it and try to go for the long run. You can have something that doesn't have a severe fall off because it's up to the driver to take care of it. You don't have a brick from the start because these cars and at the the end of the day, also, these cars are sealed to the ground. So the fact that you can't produce a tire that there's 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 a possibility that a tire doesn't exist Uh, For the length of a run is laughable, considering that you also have stage racing, where runs are limited in the first place. I just, I'm I'm baffled by it. I don't quite get it.
2: But you look at the the point you made there with uh, both Pirelli and Firestone. Again, they're in series where the governing body monitors the tire pressures or has the ability to monitor the tire pressures, so they can set a number and say you cannot run below this pressure, and they can set that in stone. Whereas in NASCAR, they don't have that ability to monitor. So the teams will try and push the boundaries. And unfortunately, then if a tyre fails, whose fault is it? It's Goodyear's. It's not the team's fault for, you know, running, you know, so many PSI under the prescribed limit. And, you know, they really, I think, have made a big issue there and a a big mistake in not giving the governing body the uh, opportunity to police that. They'll police everything else in the series. But the tires are, you know, the, NASCAR's scared of data and putting sensors on cars. Well, you know, sometimes you've got to realize that we're in 2019 now. And <laughs> this is what you need to do. Yeah, it costs money. But this is a, you know, this is a big boy sport. And you need to put your big boy pants on and pay for these things.
4: It wasn't too long ago. And I remember
2: this, you know, be-
4: before I retired from going to the races when NASCAR... Uh, one season uh, regulated the right side air pressure and yeah, they me. would have, they would have the inspector that was in stationed in each pit. Uh, he would check after, after your tire specialist uh, brought the next set of tires and put them up on the wall. The uh, inspector had an air gauge in his, in his, in his pocket and he would check the right side air pressure in the tires that you were getting ready to bolt on the car. And yeah, but NASCAR they did did that. I forget what season it was. Seth, you might you might remember when they did that, but I, I, but I want to
5: say it was about five or seven years ago, something yeah, like but that. Maybe. I,
4: I was still I was still still in the pits then, so it had to be two thousand and eight or or, or two thousand seven so somewhere along. So
2: about there. ten to eleven years ago then.
4: Yeah, and NASCAR did that for a season. Uh, that would,
2: requires uh, that requires 40 inspectors.
4: Exactly, and that's when they used to have an inspector in each pit, or an inspector for every two pits that he could do that. He could easily do that. But yeah, you couldn't do that now. But um, um, well,
2: but they yeah, could. They just have to employ more people. And that's exactly,
4: exactly. But yeah, NASCAR has done that in the past, so that's not uh, you, that's, know,
3: it's, you, you know, you know, well, certain precedent. You know, it's funny to me though, is we we come across a situation where you know, once every couple of years we're hearing Goodyear's contracts up and there's all the speculation and all those rumors. So who's going to be maybe that bidder? Who would want to deal with this kind of headache?
5: Well, I've been quiet for most of this tire conversation. Um, We're actually 25 years removed from NASCAR's most recent tire war between Goodyear and Hoosier. There's a documentary of it on YouTube, but the point is uh, that tire war, uh, there was a lot of finger pointing as to uh, both sides uh, making tires that were very fast but not durable. Some that hurt drivers, some that, according to some, played a role in the fatalities of some drivers.
1: I lived through it, I know. I remember, and, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yep, yeah, I remember it well.
5: And just sitting here Granted, I I was too young to remember that. But seeing here, looking at that now, and looking at the way the drivers are still today, I don't remember watching older races prior to that in which drivers were openly uh, calling out Goodyear. I don't know if maybe that had uh, that was a turning point that allowed drivers to call out the tire manufacturer or not. But you can't help but think about it.
4: Yeah, but you're right. But here's here's the it's a, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. The drivers want the fastest tire, you know. And, and as long as it's faster and they can set and they can be faster and they can set on the pole, they're fine till something happens. And then when something happens, that's that's the other end of it, you know. So mm-hmm. they want the fastest tire. Sometimes, you know, that, that's that's the thing that that's what led to that to that tire. And Ward Burton set set a qualifying record at Charlotte that stood for what. Fifteen years, fifteen or more years until they repaved the track or something. When he when he qualified on who's your tires uh, there. So I mean, you know, it was a long-standing uh, uh, record uh, speed record uh, at Charlotte. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's crazy times, and you don't we don't really want to get in a in a tire war. I think NASCAR learned a lesson from that, and you know they would. Um, they would, you know, they would they would send out. They would get people to bid on it, but they would only accept a single bid on it. It wouldn't be multiple, uh, multiple manufacturers involved in it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I'm I'm not a fan of multiple manufacturers in the series this day and age. So, but anyway, we need to move on. Um, take another topic now, um, Seth. Um, let's talk about the uh, really quickly trucks nextfinity.
5: Well, um, in trucks, uh, once again, it was the Kyle Busch Show. There,
1: it's much else
5: do that, Kyle Busch led 110 laps, uh, won the race. Uh, He really didn't have much competition, if at all, in the truck series. Uh, Otherwise, it was an uneventful truck race. Uh, For the Xfinity series, however, uh, Kyle Busch had to start from the back and uh, quickly got to the lead. Had to go to the back after a loose wheel. Was at least one lap down, in danger of going two laps down when there was a caution in the second stage, allowing him to get the free pass. He worked his way back up to the lead, ended up staying there and won. But it wasn't without competition from his teammate, Christopher Bell, and RCR's uh, Tyler Reddick. Unfortunately, on the uh, first overtime attempt, the two of them made contact, setting off a multi-car accident. Their cars were destroyed, Zane Smith. Uh, his car was destroyed, same with Austin Sendrick. Uh and Kyle Busch walked away with it from that point.
1: All right, now speaking of trucks, um, our friend Natalie Decker is going to test, to do her second test with the, is it, is it,
5: the, the W W series,
1: w series right? Yeah, it's not Formula W was the original. It, it's the, just W series. W right. series, yeah. Now this this series has generated a lot of controversy. Uh, you know, there, there are folks who think it's a great idea, and there are other folks, uh, notably, uh, uh, you know, uh, my good friend Pippa Mann is one of the larger detractors of this, saying that did that they do not need to segregate female racers into their own series. that that, that they should. You know, allow them to race against race against the boys. So, uh, but uh, Natalie seems to be 100 percent behind this, huh? So uh, I know you had a a chance to speak with her. And so, uh, so yeah, it's just. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on?
5: It it's just an real inter-
1: quick cause We need to spend a little time for Formula One.
5: It's a, it, it's an interesting idea. I'm trying to be open minded to it. Uh, when I first heard about it, I wasn't keen on it after talking to Natalie and uh, just listening to her, especially about the fact that this wasn't in any of the press releases, it's a free ride for all the women involved from the 54 applicants to now the 28 that are going to be testing to the 18 that are going to be competing. It's a free ride. They don't have to pay for it. Uh, And the champion of the series gets $500,000. And in total, the entire series, it's a $1.5 million purse that's going to be spread out between the 18 drivers. Uh, So it's an interesting idea. I don't know how long it's going to be around because I would think that once they start getting some of these women into uh, other series, that this idea might not be needed at some point in the future.
1: So, who's bankrolling all of this?
5: That's actually a good question.
1: Yeah. Uh, We don't know.
5: Honestly, uh, I wasn't able to find out. Uh, Natalie had mentioned that the CEO was there in Austria during uh, the selection process, but looking at the W Series website, it doesn't actually list who the CEO is.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So,
4: oh, hey, um, let, me, let me inject one point in here too, uh, in a somewhat related thing. You're talking about the uh, about the about the females. I saw where the uh, the all female entry uh, cat sponsored entry that raced in, in the 24 Hours of Daytona, the Rolex 24. Their entry was denied for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Did y'all? Did anybody see that this week as well?
1: I did not see that. What was the reasoning for denying their entry?
4: I did not. I didn't see the reasoning. I just saw where the uh, and really didn't see much of a reaction on it other than that you know that the team principals uh, expressed their disappointment. But uh, their um, it, it it was that entry was just denied for, for for some reason or another. I don't know why. We'll have to it's look something... into that and revisit that next week. Yeah. Yeah. So.
5: And one more real quick thing uh, while we're on the topic of uh, female racers. Haley Deegan won the season opener for the K&N West uh, at the Las Vegas Dirt Track, another bump and run victory on the last lap. Uh, she is now not only the first woman to win uh, in NASCAR competition as far as the k and Pro Series, but is also the first woman to ever lead the championship in Either the K&N Pro Series or any NASCAR series from the home track level, as far as K&N is concerned, and up.
4: It's an amazing uh, feat for her. I hope that she could. Continue and that was a pretty exciting them, yeah. finish to that race. I saw some of the some of the highlights, and I believe she beat was it Parnelli Jones's grandson, yes, the Jones. Yeah, but beat his beat his uh, grandson in in a very uh, exciting finish.
1: All right, so everybody needs to make a pick for Phoenix because we've – and, Richard, I hate that we keep doing this to you, but we're only going to have about four minutes to talk about Formula 1. So hopefully once the season gets going, we'll uh, be able to talk about it more. So, But, Richard, I'll give you the first pick for Phoenix so you can go ahead and pick Kevin Harvick.
2: Nope, no, no, no. No, <laughs> nope. okay. Ryan Blaney. Penske all right. The sweep. They yeah, put uh, their uh,
1: ticket
2: to the playoffs.
1: All right, fam. yeah, yeah. Uh, Joey. Suarez. All right, Seth. Magano. All right, and I'm going to go Kyle Busch. So, uh, Richard, Formula One, um, the preseason testing at Valencia is all behind us. Um,
2: and, and Barcelona.
1: And Barcelona, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Richard, take us through Formula One. Gray, gray well, did you not get a pick?
4: I'm writing it in right now, but I'm gonna pick Harvick. No brainer.
1: No brainer. No brainer. Yeah, yeah I, I'm sorry, Gray. I, mean, I, right. no I didn't mean that's all
4: right. No problem. It. I was yeah. typing it in. <laughs>
1: all right, so Gray, you get Harvick. So uh, you have the bragging rights for next week. So, uh, Richard Formula One. Paddy Lowe is in the news.
2: Yeah, Paddy Lowe is on a um, leave of absence from from Williams. Uh, there's been a lot of talk going on there. Obviously, where the, their delayed arrival at preseason season testing is. is probably um hindered their preparations no doubt i mean they probably lost it was about 30 percent of preseason testing so that's um that was a big blow to them and there was obviously a lot of finger pointing going on there the guy you know comes with a great resume through you know successful career with mclaren and mercedes something's just not working out from williams um is it the people who's got around him is it the financial side of things you know the, the I know for a fact there are very, 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 very skilled engineers working there. Um, So I don't think it's that. I think it's more of an operational thing. Um, And, you know, to a certain extent, they've sort of lived on past glories for too long. So they need to, you know, move on from there. And and maybe this is part of it. Get some new and exciting talent in. You look at the history of the technical director role that Paddy has at Williams. You've probably got to go back to Patrick Head it's until you've had a you know a, a really really top guy in there. You know they've obviously had Paddy and Pat Simmons and Mike Coughlin and guys like that there, and none of them have really hit the targets that were expected of them. Um, so it's a shame, but hopefully again, it's all a process for a team like that. You know it, it's evolution rather than revolution these days. Um, other news on the Formula One front, I think everybody's just getting ready for Australia now, seeing where people are going to be. Um and yeah, this time next week, everybody will be getting started. So it's um it, it's showtime, boys. You know, let's see what everybody's made of.
1: Absolutely. So the season over is on the twenty
3: fourth.
2: Correct. Yeah. So week week on, I think it's actually early hours of Saturday. I think I think the race times about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning US right. time. Right.
1: So so it's a, it's the same weekend as uh, the, the IndyCar will be a COTA. So that'll be that'll be a pretty fun weekend. Uh, Yeah, watch all that. So, all right. So, um, and and who do you who do you like for the season ro season opener? I know we got uh, just yeah. We're not going to go around and make make a pick, but uh, you know after looking
2: at those Ferrers look strong, don't they? Um, I mean, I I still think that I still think they have the edge. I know there was a few thousands of a second in in practice times, or you know, come the end of uh, preseason testing. But you know the track changes, temperatures changes, tires change. You know there's so much going on there. You have to you, know, you take that with a you know what it's worth. Um, I mean, so hey, just... let's let's with Charles Leclerc. Let's say you know he upstages Vettel at his first race, and Vettel uh, right. gets um, you know boxed out there. And okay. yeah, Australia is March 17th. I'm getting my date. March
1: 17th. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just seeing that in the notes that we we were a week, week off. Week on
2: Sunday. Week on Sunday.
1: All right, so sweet. So we'll have IndyCar opener uh, this weekend and next weekend Formula One opener. So we are out of time. So I want to thank each and every one of you, Seth, Gray, Joey, Richard. Um, I want to thank all you folks that listen. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and iHeartRadio. And um, guys, we'll talk to you in a week. Good
4: night.
0: W H O
1: B A Z O. That's wizard.com. Enter website.
3: Enter
0: website.
3: Enter website. Enter where... website.